and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And I'm Jeff Schutze. And we are here for our 100th Q&A Spectacular! (laughs) So happy to be back, you guys. It has been a minute. So much has gone on. Oh my goodness. Can't even tell you. There was just a lot. First off, that terrible cold that went around that knocked everybody out, myself included, for a month mm-hmm. and a half. That was a thing. But oh, also... Yeah. yeah, I had it yeah. for a few weeks and yeah. pretty much everyone at the studio was out. Oh my gosh. Was sick at it was point. like contagion. Yeah. Just everybody, everyone at home across all states. Yeah. Everybody that I knew got the cold mm-hmm. or got a flu. Yeah. <laughs> and this wasn't even coronavirus. No, no. It was just, just the United States being waylaid by illness. Mm-hmm, illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. take care of yourself. You guys go to the doctor. Don't cough and sneeze in front of people. Mm-hmm. You know, stay don't home. Don't go to work if you're sick. Oh, please don't. Yeah. Don't do that. Just stay home. But yeah, so lots of going on, but also a lot with work. Also, tons of things are going on in the mm-hmm. animation industry. We saw all the movies and all the TV shows. Too much to count, so we're not going to recount them here because we could spend an entire hour just oh, talking yeah. about what we've been watching. We've already been talking about it already... before the microphone. Yeah, we, we talked off mic. We talked off mic about all kinds of things. Yes, so we'll spare you. We will spare you that. You can ask us if you see us in person. Yeah. But yes, but we're very excited because it is the final episode, Jeff. I know. It's bittersweet. Yeah. You know, like, I'm excited. It's the 100th episode, so I've got a lot of energy. But it's also a little sad. It is a little sad. Yeah. Because so much has changed. I was thinking about this prior to our recording. When I started the show, I was unemployed. I didn't have a job at all. I was looking for a job doing anything. We're talking working at the bank, working at Target, working at reality TV, retail, applying for studio jobs, looking at the Apple store. I was just looking for a job, which is why I was able to start the show because I had nothing but time. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to showcase professionals in the industry that people may not have heard of, but who were working diligently. And I also wanted to show people that No matter where you come from, what your background is, or your gender, or your race, whether you're from California or overseas, that you can make your mark in the industry. And I really think that the show has done that over the past 99 episodes and now this episode, because so many people that we've interviewed have gone on to do so many amazing things. I mean, it's just been really cool. Like, I'm thinking about... Everett Downing, who, you know, we interviewed back when the episodes were in their 30s. He now has an Academy Award for Hair Love. Wow. Which is great. Or Domi Shi, who was my third guest, who won an Academy Award for Bao. Or Rosie Sullivan, who was Academy nominated for Kit Bull. Or numerous friends that have since become directors and board artists and revisionists and coordinators and supervisors. And then a lot of our fans have written in, and they now have jobs. It's so great. You got a job on one of the best shows to ever be on television. Mm -hmm. I still can't believe it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still thinking, did that happen? 
That did happen because we went to the finale party and we saw Aaron Paul and we freaked out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, working on BoJack was just like... Have I peaked? You know, is this is this gonna <laughs> oh, be no. it? Is, oh no, your is first show. Downhill from oh no. <laughs> I mean, great way to start, but then a little like, well, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. But also, you've got a job. Too. I do have yes. a job. I do have a job. After long last, I am now a storyboard revisionist on the Loud House. Woo! Yay. That is. Awesome. I'm very excited. so well-deserved. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I am so excited to be drawing every day. It is so great to every day go to work and I talk to my directors and they tell me what needs to be revised and I revise it and I send it off to the animatic editor and it's super cool and it's really cool because it's my show. It's the show that I've been working on for the past three years. I know everybody on the crew. I know how the pipeline works. I know what the deadlines are. I know the nuances of the characters. I've seen every episode. And so it feels very comfortable to be there and to be able to work on it and also to learn and grow because I've been doing this now since January and I've learned so much just about drawing and story from my directors. And it's really neat just to be able to draw every day and to see your skills get better just from drawing so much. Mm-hmm. I'm already better than I was two months ago, which is really cool. And I know two months, you know, it's just going to keep on continuing. Absolutely. That's the same way I felt too, you know, working on a show. It's just, it's so intense and such a pressure cooker because you're drawing so much, but you can just feel yourself getting better and faster and you're just, your skills are just leveling up like a video game. It's amazing. I love it. It's really cool. And now I got my guild paperwork a week ago. Mm-hmm. So that was a really cool thing. So when I hit 600 hours, I'll have guild health insurance and pension plan and 401k, which is very important. I encourage everybody to put 15% towards your 401k. A little public service announcement there, save for your retirement. But it's really cool. So it's it's a really cool thing. And I'm reminded of something that one of my teachers, Scotland Barnes, who was also on the show a while back, who's now over at Disney TV, had told me. I remember when I was in school, he had said that it typically takes two to five years for you to get the job that you want in the industry. And he was 100% correct because it took me two years to get my PA job and then it took another three years for me to get the storyboard revisionist job. So it did take five years. So for those of you out there who are grinding and working hard and looking for a job, know that if it takes you a while, that's normal. It's perfectly normal. You haven't failed. You just need to keep working at it. Definitely. Because... I was at a point many times where I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get into the industry. And I was doing independent storyboarding and, you know, working on my webcomic and working on my portfolio and doing odd jobs here and there. And just it got to the point where I'm like, am I ever going to get there? And once it happened, it's just kind of like, yeah, of course it was going to happen. But it takes a lot of work and there's no timeline really for it. It seems like a foregone conclusion 
after it's done. Exactly. I'm thinking of, you know, you think of movies like Toy Story or Aladdin or Lion King or I just watched the movies that made us mm. on Netflix and they were talking about Die Hard and Home Alone. And you watch these movies or you watch these shows and you think, of course it was going to work. But when you're in the middle of it, you have no idea. Mm -mm. And everything's coming at you and you're thinking, this is going to fail. And it's going <laughs> to fail spectacularly. And that's how it feels a lot of time when you're trying to get an animation job. You're working on it going, why am I staying up late redoing this portfolio? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this test? Or... I just wish I could even get a test. Right. I wish right. I knew someone to talk to in the industry. Yeah, and you start doubting yourself and mm -hmm. just wondering, is there a secret ingredient oh, that yeah. no one's telling me or that I don't have? Or what is it? Why can't I? Do I need to know somebody? What is that secret thing that I can't get a hold of? And really, there's no secret ingredient. Just keep on doing what you're doing. Level up your skills and just keep doing tests and you know there's no guarantees but we did it yes we did yes we did and you can too and that's why we're here today because y'all sent in some excellent questions via email and instagram and also in person so we're going to get to all of those but before that i wanted to share with you guys a really cool book that i got called the queens of animation the publisher, Little Brown, was kind enough to send this over to us, which was really awesome. So you guys may have heard of this book. It's by Natalia Holt. She wrote the New York Times bestseller, Rise of the Rocket Girls. This book is excellent. If you want to know about the history of women in Disney feature animation, particularly the story department, this is a great book because something that I didn't know was that there were actually women at Disney working in the story department since the 30s. And the reason why nobody knows that is because whenever you watch the credits for Disney movies, it only listed a couple of people. There's hundreds of people that worked on Disney feature films in the 30s, 40s, and 50s who were never credited. We're talking people that worked in the ink and paint department. We're talking people that worked in the story department and animation. And a lot of the unsung heroes of feature animation at Disney were women. And so this book talks about Mary Blair and dozens of other women that did great things. But it's also a really good history book because it gives the context of what was going on at the time. And it also explains things like the multiplane camera, rotoscoping, technicolor. So if you're curious too, just about film history and how film works and how technology works and how all of that intersects, it's just a very good book. It's also maddening and depressing at times <laughs> because women have it hard now. Man, women had a terrible time back then. So a lot of the stuff you're reading and you're just going, ugh, why are people terrible? But it's to show that they worked really hard so that all of us could get to where we are today. Men and women, men and women of color, queer people, you know, LGBTQ. The people in this book are the reason why a lot of us today are able to have jobs. And we need to remember that and we need to work hard. And so if you're ever having a bad day, think of these people. Think yeah. of these people and their struggle. 
Yeah, I may have to borrow it from you. You or, can definitely borrow it. Or I'll buy it or whatever, because that sounds cool. Like, I've, you know, heard about the Ink and Paint Girls, but um, I didn't even know about the that they worked in the story department. I too. had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't think that, it's sad, but I didn't think that women worked in story until the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Wow. So it's... It's a sad thing that it's a lot like hidden figures, you know, mm-hmm. learning that, oh, black women worked for NASA. Really? You know, it's the same kind of thing. And so that's why books like this book and documentaries and whatnot are important to show that, no, people have been here. Their stories just weren't being told. Mm-hmm. And the author of the book, she did so much research. She went and met with people's grandchildren and went to the Disney archives and looked up film reels and she talked to so many people and referenced so many books and so many people just had such interesting stories. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good read and it's great too. I mean, if you're into historical research and if you're curious about, hey, I want maybe one day I want to do something like this, take a note from her book on how to do it because it's great. Oh, cool. Yeah. So now on to... Our Q&A. So, Jeff, why don't you start us off with our first question? All right. Let's do Juan's questions first. Okay. All right. We got some questions from Juan, the first of which is, what level of freedom do you get when animating an actual shot for a feature film or TV show? So, and so we have some answers, and we've gotten some answers from some of our friends in the industry who asked not to be named, so I'm not going to say it. So this person says... In answer, for most TV shows and many animated feature productions, their story team will provide fairly tight previs reel with close to key poses animation, close to final camera move and vehicle pass for the animation team. While the animators still have creative room, a lot of the main story poses are blocked out during previs. This is more so if the animation production is shipped overseas due to cultural and linguistic differences. Mm Mm-hmm. However, if the animation production is done in-house, the previs tends to be more loose, so the animators could have more freedom to develop their own acting and performances. So it varies from studio to studio and from different productions. And that is true, because I'm thinking of friends I know that work at Disney and Pixar, because mm-hmm. those are done in-house, and they don't tend to send a lot of things overseas. They have a lot more freedom because they're there. Right. And this person is right about cultural differences, because even for... You know, I'm thinking of like television as well. When you're sending it overseas, especially to countries that don't speak English, Mm -hmm. things can get lost in translation. So you really have to adhere to what the director tells you. Otherwise, it might come back and you'll look at it and you'll go, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) There was so much of that on BoJack. Yeah. You know, especially because a lot of the jokes are language dependent or knowing what this pop culture references and so they would have to be very if you wanted a joke that you came up with to really land you might have to put in more frames while you're boarding Mm -hmm. just so that the animators when they send it overseas will do it exactly how it was ordered so yeah yeah and that's not to say i mean folks overseas are very smart and they know what they're doing so Mm -hmm. this isn't to throw shade at what they're doing it's just Different cultures do different things, and they find different things. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when you're talking about humor, humor is very different yeah. in different countries. Mm-hmm. And so you just want to make sure that if you're trying to get a specific point across, yeah. this is what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, they work hard over there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely no shade. 
Okay, another question. What sort of resources background are you provided when you're assigned a specific shot? Do we get to know what the bigger picture is in order to understand the shot better, or just a general idea in a smaller scope? And our friend answered it this way. This also depends on the production. Usually the animation team will get a general idea of the entire show. The story team would share the previs or animatic or storyboard to the animation team. Depending on the studios, there is usually team meetings with the supervisor, director, and producer to go over the scene and the shots. When an assignment is assigned to the animator, the supervisor or show director often will provide notes and performance suggestion. Yeah, mm -hmm. that sounds exactly right. Yeah, a lot of the times when you're on BoJack again, well, and also this, um, the last project, which I can't really say because it hasn't been announced yet, but the director would tell us if they didn't want us to say, you only have so many resources here. You only have two backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So don't go crazy with yeah. the camera angles. Or don't go, you know, keep it in three-quarter or three-quarter to front or five-eighths because we don't want to do a whole turnaround. We don't have a whole turnaround on this character. So, yeah, we get limitations all the time. We do, too, on our show. And the reason for that is because... The more assets you use, the more expensive it can mm -hmm. be a lot of times. And also the more work that it is for the animation team. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're working on a show like BoJack was around for six seasons, Loud House is now in five. We have so many assets that to just decide, I'm just gonna make an all new background when it's really not necessary is a lot of wasted work. And it's wasted time for the designers that could be working on something else that does need to be brand new. So rather than having a slightly different angle for a background or a slightly different angle for a character or prop, a lot of times it's better just to be creative and just reuse what you already have. It saves people time. Mm -hmm. And money. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question from Juan. How does the pipeline work in animation? What is the entry level position? What should a beginner 3D animator be looking to apply for? And one of our friends answers it like this. Animation pipeline is a complex and big topic. A general answer, usually there's pre-production, which there's the visual development, character design, storyboard, etc. Then when the pre-production are ready, things will move forward to modeling and rigging team before animation process is started. Entry level position also depends on the studios. Different studios have different systems. It's very general. There are animation interns, which are perfect for students to get their foot in the door, then junior animation position, regular animation position, and then senior animation position, lead and then supervisor, etc. Other popular junior level animation position are 3D generalists for those who do a bit of everything in 3D, mostly small to medium studios, facial animation, 3D layout, etc. So yeah, you can speak, Angela, to the whole pipeline yeah. for 2D animation as yeah. well. Yeah, talk about the 2D animation and also about entry-level jobs for 3D, because I had friends that did entry-level for 3D. So the animation pipeline, so just like our friend answered, so you have, the way the pipeline works is you have your production team, so you have your PAs, your coordinators, your producers, and they're the ones that hand out the assignments and track everything. You have your writing team, who writes the scripts if you're on a script-driven show. If it's a movie, it's script-driven. You're going to have a script if you're a movie. If you're a television show, Sometimes they have scripts, sometimes they just have premises, and then the board artists will end up writing a lot of it. On our show, it's script-driven, so we have our scripts, our board artists, the board artist boards it out, the animatic editor cuts it together, the designers create backgrounds, characters, props, and effects, our color stylist colors all of the characters, the effects, and the props, 
our background painters paint all the backgrounds, everything is double checked, and then it's sent off to our studio in Canada that animates it. And then they send it back and they check it to make sure it's correct. And if there's any corrections, they send it back. In the meantime, you also have people doing dialogue and sound. That's basically how the pipeline works in television. It's very similar in feature film, except a lot of times in feature film, stuff is going back and forth all the time. Sometimes things aren't locked down until the very end. So even though you have a script, they might board out a section and then rewrite the script and then redo <laughs> the board and then start some of the animation and then redo the animation. So it's not necessarily linear. But as far as beginner jobs, a lot of my friends, especially Pixar people, some of their first jobs were animating crowds. So mm. a lot of times your first job, you're not necessarily going to be the character animator for the main character of the movie. You're gonna be animating all the people in the background that are doing interesting things. So mm. you're animating the person in the background pushing a cart or <laughs> the baby crying or the bird flying. Whenever you're watching something and you're seeing a crowd, that might be the first thing that a 3D animator typically animates. So you usually end up moving into being the character animator from that. But it can be different at different studios too. I mean, if you're working at a really small studio, they might just say, okay, great, you're hired, here, go do this. <laughs> so a lot of it too just depends on the size of the studio and the size of the production. Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, there's one other thing too that Juan had asked, and it was a really mm -hmm. good question, which was, at what level do you need to be to get a job? Do you out of school have to be just ready to just be thrown in with the sharks, right. or is it okay if you're not the Wonder Kid? Mm -hmm. My words, not his, <laughs> on the Wonder Kid part. And do you need but, to be Pixar level? Yeah, do you need to be Pixar level? And yeah. honestly, that depends on you. So I think the best advice we can give for that is do your best for what you want to do. Now, obviously, when you first get out of school, of course you're not going to be at that level because it takes 10, 15, 20 years to get to that level. Mm -hmm. So no one's expecting you to be baby Glenn Keane, baby Brenda Chapman <laughs> right out of school. Now, if you are, we would love to talk to you oh, yeah. because that is amazing. <laughs> but no one's expecting that. What they are expecting is a certain level of competence. So especially with 3D, can you do walk cycles? Can you do quadruped walk cycles? Can you do run cycles? Is the acting appealing? Is there emotion there? Are you making interesting choices? And the, is the animation and the blocking fluid and interesting? So do your very best and emulate people that are better than you. Don't just look at your friends. I mean, definitely help out your friends, see what your friends are doing, but I would say, rather than comparing yourself to your friends, look at the people that have the job that you want, whether that be a junior animator or a senior animator, see what their level is and work towards that. Because mm -hmm. if you aim high, like the higher you aim, the higher your work level is going to end up becoming because you're shooting really high. It doesn't mean that right out of school you're going to get there, but you know, if you aim for dirt, you're going to get dirt. Mm -hmm. But if you're aiming for the stars, 
you might clear a few feet and that might put you above a few other people. Yeah. And if you're worried that you aren't at Pixar level quality to get a job in the industry, know that there's many studios that you don't have to be that level that you can learn at Mm -hmm. and they're turning out great work, but you don't need to be doing Toy Story 4 level of animation because a lot of them, it's going to be for TV or smaller projects, and it doesn't need to be at that level. Yeah, it's just the thing of just continue to work on it, even when mm-hmm. you're out of school. You know, Continue yeah. to take classes, continue to meet people. If you continue improving, eventually you will improve. Yeah. I mean, and then eventually you can get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so thanks, Juan. Yeah. So next question comes from Instagram, from at Insamity. And they write, I would like to know more about the transition from school into the industry. As an online student and as online exposure becomes more relevant, what are good platforms that professionals search for talent on and what are ways to be seen in such a competitive industry? So I really like this question because I've met a lot of online students and we've had a lot of online students listening to the show. And that definitely presents a bigger challenge than... I would say, because since you're on a computer, you don't necessarily have that instant connection with people face-to-face, so you Mm -hmm. have that little bit of barrier. So for that, I would say, honestly, get offline as soon as you can, to be honest with you. I mean, definitely be on Instagram. Be on Instagram, be on Twitter, be on Tumblr, have a professional portfolio, showcase new art. Once a week, once every couple of weeks, once a month, showcasing what you can do. But really, getting a job is, I would say, 50% of it is having good marketable skills for if you're wanting to do story or character design or animatic editor or 3D animator. And the other 50% is really getting to know people, getting to know recruiters, production coordinators, directors for story, art directors friends, fellow interns, internship coordinators, and really making those personal connections. And the best way to do that is through internships and coming to conventions and going to events and reaching out to people on LinkedIn and Twitter and just getting to know people well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I have a little hiatus right now between projects and I kind of had this decision to make. Do I spend some money to do some online courses, and which I might get actually more subjects covered, basically, because I want to do some stuff in software. I want to do some stuff storyboarding. I want, you know, there were a couple different subjects I wanted to hit, but I ended up going with some live classes through the guild because, not just because I wanted to hear from a live person and I probably be paying attention more and all that stuff but I wanted to be with live people and meet more people in class like real humans I wanted to get to know the teacher and get that feedback that sometimes you just can't get online and so yeah I agree yeah but that's not to say that online is bad because we know plenty of people that Mm -hmm. have done exceedingly well through online I'm thinking of Nick Gregory Mm -hmm. who he did a lot of classes through Oatly Academy and that's that's how It's how he learned how to paint, Mm -hmm. and he is phenomenal at it. And a lot of online schools have 
excellent communities. You know, you have Schoolism, you have Oatly Academy. I know people mm-hmm. that did Animation Mentor. Yeah. So if you're online, get to know your fellow online students really well through mm-hmm. like Facebook and Twitter and phone calls and all of that. Mm-hmm. But don't just rely on online. What Absolutely. we're saying is do both, especially if you're not in state. You know, if you're not mm-hmm. in a state or a city that has animation, seek out whatever you can in the city that you're in. If your city has some kind of club or start your own, mm-hmm. you might find a ton of other people, too. Yeah. So that's a good way. And then but the, for the first part, too, I want to answer about the transition from school into the industry. That can be really tough mm-hmm. because you're going from this environment that's very regimented you have to get up at a certain time go to classes at a certain time you're getting graded you're getting portfolios to essentially being released into the wild and no one's telling you to get up no one's telling you when to turn things in nobody's grading you nobody's watching you it's all up to you and that can be very daunting and scary Mm -hmm. and so the best advice that i can give for that is Build out a schedule for yourself when you graduate, even if you don't have a job in the industry lined up. The best thing you can do is don't wake up at noon. Don't just hang out with your friends all day. Have a set schedule because that'll get you in the mindset of working. So get up at a consistent time, eat at a consistent time, exercise at a consistent time, Uh, One of the things that I did was I got a part-time job. It had nothing to do with the industry, but money was coming in Mm -hmm. and it helped keep me from panicking because I thought that, okay, well, it's not an industry job, but I'm still able to pay my rent Mm -hmm. because I'm not broke. So even if you have a job at Starbucks or retail or whatever, there's something about having a place to go and having something that you have to do and earning money that takes away a lot of stress. Yeah, so because that is so stressful and that gets in your head. But exercise does help with that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I remember my transition to, you know, professional industry. It was rough. I was stressed out mm-hmm. because when you're doing independent animation or coming out of school, they're paid. Like especially the school, they're paid to tell you what to do yeah whereas when i did got my first gig on bojack it's not their job to tell you exactly what to do so i was like stressed out like am i doing this right you know and the directors were super cool and you know telling me oh okay well you know do this and do this you know uh we were using flash at the time so it was a huge learning curve but one of the best things that i did was and this is some advice to take to heart is make friends as soon as you can at oh, the yeah. studio. Because my friend Jackie, she came on at the same time I did. So we were just, every lunch we would get together and just we would talk about everything we learned or what this director told her, what this director told me, and we would compare notes. Mm-hmm. It helps so much because then we could be like, okay... First of all, I'm not the only one who's stressed out here. Yeah. And second of all, pooling resources is great. And making friends with people who have experience there or whatever and are willing to share that information, 
it's just it can relieve a lot of the stress. Oh yeah, going to a new place. Yeah, absolutely. And join every organization you can, because mm-hmm. then you'll just you know join a lot of different organizations too. You'll meet a lot of people. And then for me, when I first got to Nickelodeon, I went to every event. Mm. Yeah, I was so excited to finally get a job that I just made it my goal. I thought, I just want to meet everyone. Everyone. And so every Nickelodeon event, every party, every volunteer opportunity, I was there. L.A. River Cleanup, I went to it. Pet Adoption Day, I went to it. Cinco de Mayo and St. Patrick's Day and volunteering to draw with the kids and volunteering at the pediatric hospital. And sometimes our production crew would have lunch. I would go to lunch. I just started hanging out with people all the time. I thought, I just want to be just embedded. You know, I just thought I, I want to be invaluable so that if something happens, they go, well, we can't lose Angela. <laughs> Even if the show goes kablooey, we have to find a place for her, you know, so just... Become indispensable and get to know, get to know your team. You know, once you get a job, get to know your team, get to know the studio, get to know the culture, ask a lot of questions. I really wanted to be a really good PA mm-hmm. and then a really good coordinator. So I used to, you know, I went to friends and said, hey, who should I talk to who's very good at their job? Mm-hmm. Who do you recommend? And I made a list and I emailed all of those, I think I talked to like 15 different people. Like I just made a list and just said, hey, my coworker so-and-so said I should talk to you. Mm-hmm. Can we have lunch? Can we have coffee? Can I ask you how you do your job? And that'll help build up your confidence because you're learning from people that are better than you, mm-hmm. who've been there longer. So that's once you go from school to your job, that's what you want to do. Just get yeah. to know people and ask questions. Mm-hmm. It helps. That's so funny. And it's so true what you're saying about like do every event. Like I know CPR and a bunch of health stuff because I volunteered for that stuff at Mm -hmm. the studio just because I wanted to meet people and, you know, get to know them. Yeah. And for folks out there that aren't as social, it's okay. It's Mm -hmm. okay. A lot of it, I know that social anxiety can be very devastating and very real. And a lot of times there is definitely a loss of energy so if you find yourself in that camp, be strategic about what you do. So maybe your thing isn't going to be going to every event because the sound of that just makes you break out in hives. But maybe it is, I'm going to go to two events every week. And I'm going to go to these two events and I'm going to have a conversation with three to five people. And then once I've done that, I give myself permission to go home. Mm -hmm. So that way you're still going out, you're still meeting people, you're getting involved with your team, you're getting involved with the industry, but you're also giving yourself enough of a buffer and care to know your own limits. Mm -hmm. So that can be a good thing to try too, if the idea of doing all this is really scary, just branch out a little at a time and see how well you do. And if you come home and realize that was too much, kind of scale it back. Mm-hmm. And no, it gets easier and better because this industry is so small oh, yeah. that you just keep meeting the same people over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so once you make friends with even one person, it's so funny. When I started at BoJack, one of the first people I befriended was Andrea Gersman, yeah. who we were just talking about, mm-hmm. who was on the show. 
who was on the animated journey. And so it's like, Andrea, I know you. And then, so I had a friend immediately. And then making another friend, you know, here, and then making another friend there, and then it just gets easier. Yeah. It's like rock and roll high school. Everybody Mm -hmm. is somebody's wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, friend from college, Mm -hmm. neighbor. It's crazy. It's crazy how connected. I remember I was talking to one of the supervising producers at Nick, and he was telling me that there's only about 4,400 people in the guild. That's the size of some high schools. Mm -hmm. So in 10 years... You could theoretically meet almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you will have opportunities. So what we're saying is pace yourself and get to know people. That will make the transition easier because then you won't be alone. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's look at the next question. This one is from some guy from NorCal. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey, Jeff and Angela. Thanks so much for the great podcast. It's been amazing and inspiring. Two questions. Is there a sense of progression? Early career is TV, season career is film for storyboarding, or is it just personal where you fit better? When is everything going remote? We don't need to be all in the same city or even country anymore. When do you think virtual studios are going to actually be common so we don't all have to move to LA? And he cites as an example, like Cuphead and uh, Klaus had remote workers as well. Thanks, guys. Best of luck on your future project. Thank you, some guy from NorCal. Those are... (laughs) Excellent questions. Mm -hmm. I love these questions. So let's tackle the first one. So about progression, that depends on you. So some people start in television, some people start in film, and that's where they stay, and they love it. And so it's not so much a progression from you start in TV and you go to film, or you start in film and you go to TV. It's more of a progression within those two Mm -hmm. a lot of times. So a lot of times people start as storyboard revisionists and then they become storyboard artists and then they become storyboard directors and then supervising producers and then they create a show sometimes people go from revisionist to show creator in the case of people like uh, darren nefsey they were revisionists on other shows and then they pitch shows their pitches were amazing Mm -hmm. and then they ended up getting their own shows other people have been directors for years and then get their own show Other people aren't interested in having a show and they're interested. They want to stay as board artists and they're happy and that's what they do. And then same in feature. Feature, there's not really revisionists in features so much, but you might have like a junior story artist that they put on other things or you might start as an intern, Mm -hmm. you know, like an internship story program and then you become a story artist. And then a lot of times you'll be story artist and then head of story, and then director, and then you might pitch a movie. But people go back and forth. Now it's fairly common for people to go back and forth once they've had some years under their belt. You know, I've met people that they started off at Nick and TV, and now they're on the new Spider-Man movie. Mm. Or people might be working on a movie and decide they'd rather go to television, like Daniel Chong, who we had on the show. He worked at Pixar, he worked at Disney, he decided he wanted to create his own show, and he created We Bear Bears on Cartoon Mm. Network. So people go back and forth quite often now. Yeah, it's very fluid. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the lines are getting blurred anyway between feature and TV anyway with all the streaming network. It's especially prevalent now because of streaming Mm -hmm. and also because technology has improved so much that you can have feature quality 
at the TV level yeah. now in a way that you couldn't before. There used to be, I mean, you could really, like, you look at the 80s, there's a big difference between 80s television animation and 80s feature animation because they oh, just yeah. didn't have the budget. But now a lot of shows are getting better budgets. Mm -hmm. So because they have better budgets, they can have better quality. And so you're starting to see very good quality television shows, which is a big reason why a lot of people are going to TV. Mm -hmm. And then also television's faster, but film tends to have more prestige because it's film. Yeah. 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 So it just depends on, I would say, work depending on for me it's what i like to watch mm -hmm. and also the pace right i like the pace of television i like the idea that hey i work on a thing and then it's done mm -hmm. and then i get to work on another thing right some people really like hey i like that i get to take my time and spend months crafting this mm -hmm. so a lot of it's just on your time tolerance? Would you rather spend four years working on a film or would you rather spend six weeks working on a TV board? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. I like working in TV, same reason as you. I like the pace. And I want to eventually create my own show and I want to tell a bunch of different stories. And so I see myself being in TV for a while. Never say never as far as film goes. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see myself perhaps doing film in the future but for now i'm very happy being in tv yeah i'd mm -hmm. like to work on a film one day just to see what that's like mm -hmm. you know i saw it in my internship and i've seen it from friends but i'd like to experience that for myself but like you i also want to create a television show mm -hmm. and you can progress faster in tv than film and what i mean by that is you can move up in the ranks faster in TV because TV is faster paced and because there's more television shows being made than movies. So if you want to become a director or a show creator, you have a better shot of doing that in television than film because in film you typically need to be there for a while. We're talking 10, 20 years before you get to direct something. And that's not to deter anybody that wants to do it because it's definitely worthwhile. It's more on you. Is that something that you want to do? If it is, by all means, go for it. Mm -hmm. If it's not, television might be a better path for you. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're just independently wealthy, start your own film studio and make your own movie. People <laughs> and then do... give us a call. <laughs> yeah, give us a call. Because people do that too. So that's yeah. also a thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, that's it. Well, hold on. From... No, no, we didn't answer his no. other question. Because oh, his, oh, other question, right. his other question... Oh, I like this question I like too. that question too. Mm -hmm. Like, when are people going to get it? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when, when do you think that will happen? I have my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. When is everything going remote? That Yeah, or yeah. maybe not everything, but when, when will people get hip to the idea that, hey, this is a possibility? It's going to be a long time before the big studios go remote. For me, doing independent animation and storyboarding, it was almost all remote. Everything I did for Glamour Magazine... Everything I did mostly for Rooster Teeth and College Humor, I actually had to go into the office. But so much of it was remote. But every studio job I've had, which it's only two and a third one's coming up, it's going to be at a studio. And I just don't see it changing anytime soon because a lot of these shows, you need that interaction and you need to be with the director. And 
it's great to have that synergy where they're over your shoulder while you're drawing or you're pitching them on something. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. What do you think? I think that... I don't think it'll ever get to the point where there are more remote studios than terrestrial studios. Mm -hmm. I do think that it will increase, but it may take some time. So when I think of movies like Klaus, which, you know, we got to see at the Asifa screening and the director of Klaus was talking about how they had people working remotely from around the world. I found that a lot of European studios are able to do that because they're getting a lot of, the, I don't know if this was the case with Klaus, but I'm thinking of like Cartoon Saloon, for example. Mm -hmm. They're getting funding from various European governments because in Europe, they appreciate the arts. <laughs> I would, I think a lot more than here. And so a lot of these governments are funding these productions. And so that helps. Mm -hmm. And so they're able to reach out to different studios and different people, and they're collaborating together to make one film, mm -hmm. and that works, and that's really awesome. I think one of the things here is honestly, the infrastructure is already here. Disney is in Burbank. DreamWorks is in Glendale. Nick is in Burbank. We have Titmouse, we have Shadow Machine. Bento. All of Bento, they're mm -hmm. here, they're already here. The buildings are already here. There's thousands of people here. There's tons of schools here. So they don't need remote people because everyone's already here. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I think it really hasn't happened yet is when, when you have more than enough people than you would ever need already in one place, mm -hmm. you're not necessarily going to think, you know what we need to do mm -hmm. is go remote instead of just interviewing the hundreds of people that are already here applying constantly who are already in the city. So that's one hurdle. Another one, which you mentioned, is a lot of times it's easier for productions if everybody's under one roof. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easier if everybody's in the t same time zone. It's yeah. easier if you can just walk down the hall or stick your head in someone's cube rather than waiting seven hours for a time zone difference. If you need to make a change to something, they're right there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it too is ease. And you can make the argument of, oh, you know, all you need to do is Skype. All you need to do is email. But I know people that have worked on productions where everybody was remote except for the production team. Mm -hmm. And they had a really hard time coordinating a lot of things and getting everything together. Now that's not to say it can't work. That was yeah. like, I'm thinking of two shows in particular that will not be named, but... <laughs> It was really, really rough for the people working on those shows. They did not enjoy the experience. So you have that hurdle too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in the future, a lot of a lot more independent animation is going to go remote, even to the point where people can put projects together as a, as the tools become more widely available mm -hmm. and it gets easier to do this kind of thing. I was just thinking of this video game called Dreams that just came out on PlayStation, where it's a video game where you can make your own video game. Yeah. And the way you do it is maybe you're not good at sound design or you're not good at character design. You can farm that stuff out to other people playing the game and you can be the director or you can be the character designer and then call your friend and be like, hey, can you put together a music track for me? Mm -hmm. And I bet a lot of 
animation is going to go that way too, where it's just going to be easier to do this independently. I think so. But I think the major studios, mm -hmm. no. Right. Because they have everything they need here. Yeah. But smaller studios, people that want to be quick, people mm -hmm. that want to be fast, people that want to have ideas that are not as expensive, right. because that's another thing is the expense. I think those are going to be the ones to benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, guy from NorCal, you could always start your own too. You know, like, hey, mm -hmm. if you're not if you're not seeing what you want in the world, start your own remote studio. People have done it. Yeah. You mentioned Klaus. Mm -hmm. Start your own. Get people on board. Yeah. Yeah, make it happen. Mm-hmm. So next question comes from at HumpGuyArts, and he <laughs> asks, how would one go about becoming an animatic editor? And I really like this question because you don't meet a ton of animatic editors, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of them around. So I asked people at Nickelodeon and also Shadow Machine and other studios that friends have been animatic editors. So the way that you would do it is first, you really do need to learn the software. That's one of the ones where usually we say, hey, you know, like practice drawing every day, whatnot. It is software dependent. Editing now is through linear computer editing software programs. Nobody's editing with film and razor blades anymore. That's a thing mm -hmm. of the past. So you want to <laughs> learn Premiere and you want to learn Avid because uh, m most of the studios, it's either Avid or Premiere are the two main ones. A few places still use Final Cut Pro, but really learn Premiere and Avid first. You will not go wrong if you know those two programs. And then once you learn the programs, obviously you need to find things to edit. So if you are in school, edit your film student friends or your animation friends' films so that you can get credit and put that on your own reel. If you like shooting your own stuff, go and make your own films. That's actually how I learned it. I took an avid editing class and I took a cinematography class at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I had a little camera and I went out and shot my own films and then edited them myself. Oh, yeah. And I did that for my animation classes, too. So if you like filmmaking, if you like cinematography, or if you don't like it, but you know you can do it, shoot your own stuff and then edit your own stuff. You can also check out local film schools and, like, put ads up. You can go on Craigslist. Basically, go on any website and just see if anybody needs anything edited. You can take existing footage and chop it up in a different way and say, hey, this already existed but here's my version of it. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done that, then it's the same as what we're telling everybody else is getting to know industry people. And a lot of people that I've met, they actually started in reality television because there's a, at least in LA, there's a ton mm -hmm. of reality TV jobs. So you can go to websites like staffmeup.com or entertainmentcareers.net because mm -hmm. editing is editing. Mm -hmm. So you might not necessarily want to start in live action, but I started in live action. Yeah. You were acting in live action, so And the same you rules know, apply. Same rules apply for stuff. And now there's just no excuse with where Lady Gaga shooting her video on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. You know, just take your smartphone out and record some stuff. Just make a little story and see if you can make it work in editing. Yeah, and just do this a lot. Mm -hmm. Just edit a lot yeah. all the time and go to different events all the time. I know that Latinx, they just had an event where they had four female 
animatic editors talking about what it's like being an editor and how mm-hmm. they did it and how they got there. So look for different places you can go and to talk and meet with people. Yeah, and there's so many good YouTube videos. You can just get lost mm-hmm. in editing videos. You know, this is why a Spielberg edit, edit oh, works. Yeah. This is why a Nolan edit works. This mm-hmm. is what this filmmaker's doing to make it work. Scorsese, all this thing. It's all there for you to learn. Yeah, I mentioned it before too, but every frame of painting oh, is great. an excellent YouTube channel. I believe there's 30 videos up there. Watch all of them. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. great. And Skillshare has a ton of stuff too. So that's our recommendations. Yes, great resource. Mm-hmm. What's next? So next question. So this one comes from Brian Mark. Good evening. I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and I've heard Church and Christianity mentioned. I was curious if you knew about any active Christian animation studios. I think of VeggieTales and Narnia and other properties that have faith-based content. Excellent question, Brian. So at the moment, I don't know of any studios for animation specifically that are just focusing on Christian content or just faith-based content in general, but different studios will occasionally make faith-based shows or movies. So I'm thinking of uh, The Star, which was made by Sony, which Mm -hmm. was the tale of Christ's birth, but from the point of view of the animals, or things like VeggieTales, which was bought by DreamWorks, that's mm-hmm. going on, or, but, yeah, so right now there aren't any specific studios, but there are shows that have that at its focus, and then there are other shows that, while they're not faith-based, they have what I would consider, like, good values that they want to teach kids, and particularly if you're looking in, usually it's, um, like, younger age groups, So if you're looking at like preschool shows or like four to eight or things like Sesame Workshop or shows on PBS, if you're looking for something that maybe it's not necessarily faith-based, but you know that, hey, I can watch this with my kid and they're going to learn something good and there's not Mm going to be a ton of blood and guts and shooting and things where they're going to look at me and go, dad, what does that mean? And then me having to explain this thing that I'm not ready for them to see yet. That could be a good option. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Like you said, there's studios that they may not be faith-based per se, but they work on projects that are faith-based, and you can find them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if and it depends on what you're doing. If you want to be a an artist on it or a writer or whatever, you know, just check the websites and see, like you said, VeggieTales. Go to their website, see if they're hiring, what they're hiring for, and you can find this information out, definitely. Yeah, and even if it's not a faith-based show, there's a lot of faith-based people Mm -hmm. in L.A., so you won't be the only one. I mean, I'm one, so Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of people here. The the cool thing about L.A. is that anybody can come here. Yeah, So you can find your tribe here. Yeah, absolutely. And he asked another question, too, which I thought was very good. So he's currently getting his MFA. And he wanted to know how to prepare for a career change because he's on the opposite coast. So he's coming from Florida. He's family. He's got a house, a mortgage, all the nine yards. So he's wanting to know the best way to prepare because since he'd be moving out here, he'd need to be moving his entire family, mm-hmm. not just him. Right. I suggest talking to Jeff Sornig. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but although he didn't move his entire family, mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I'm hesitant to give advice since I didn't have to do this, but you've moved a lot, Angela. I've moved a lot, yeah. and we have a friend, too, who's been on the show, uh, Katia Bowser. She moved, and actually, mm. coincidentally, so she's from Florida, and she moved oh. with her husband, and then once they moved here, they had a daughter. So I would say the first thing to do is be in alignment with your spouse or your significant other. And that's just general advice, not just for Brian, but for anybody. If you're coming from another country, you're coming from another state, and you're not coming alone, make sure the two of you are in agreement with what you're wanting to do. Mm -hmm. I think of like Nick Gregory and his wife, Amy. Yeah. Nick wanted to move to the U.S. She also wanted to move to the U.S. He wanted to move for animation. Amy is an accountant. Accountants are needed everywhere. So it was also a good move for her because she knew that she would also be able to find a job. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it is making sure that if your spouse is working or your SO is working, that they'll have something to do too. So number one, make sure you're in alignment. Uh, number two, save money because oh. it's expensive yeah. for an individual I'd recommend five to 10K, thinking of a Wayman Singleton, mm-hmm. who was on the show. He saved up 10K when he moved from New York to California. Yeah. That is an excellent amount of money. That is a large amount of money. We're not kidding. It's very expensive. LA is one of the most expensive cities in the country. Mm-hmm. So be in alignment with your other person. Save money. Do your research. It's a really good idea don't just move here. <laughs> Having yeah. never been here, you might hate it. <laughs> you yeah. know, you might love it. You might hate it. You might move to the bad part of town yeah. and not know it's the bad part of town or a really nice part of town that's way too expensive and you could have found something else. Mm-hmm. So come to a convention. Come out here mm-hmm. when all the because conv- then you're killing two birds with one stone. You're seeing what LA is like or if you're not coming to LA, if you're going to like Toronto or Vancouver or Atlanta, you know, you're seeing what that's like. But also come when there's some type of event. So Designer Con, Wonder Con, you want to go down to San Diego, Comic Con. If you're coming for a specific networking event, I remember when Chris used to have his animation networking events. I remember, you know, we met Sean, he came from Utah. Like people were coming from out of state because they knew it would be a really good opportunity. So come when there's going to be something where you can meet mm-hmm. recruiters and other professionals. And then while you're in Florida or while you're in whatever state or country you're in, do as much as you can where you currently are. Mm-hmm. So if you're in school, get to know all your professors, all the other students, make good connections locally. If there's art galleries, have an art gallery show. If there's an animation group, join that group. If there isn't that group, form that group. Make a podcast. Put out your work on YouTube and Instagram and Tumblr. Do as much as you possibly can. He's also asking about like adjacent opportunities, like internships and whatnot. See if any local schools or local art programs or local companies have jobs. Like, I remember I had a friend in school that she was a production coordinator for a medical company that needed medical animation. Hmm. It was very random, but she found it online. She found this random company that happened to be doing something that involved what she wanted to learn. So, Mm -hmm. and I hear about that a lot. Like, the auto detailing shop might want 
a short animated commercial and they might pay pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you never know. So ask, ask around, see if local companies need board artists. Like I remember you did a thing for a commercial once. Like, are you allowed to say what you did it oh, for? Oh yeah. <laughs> I did a whiskers commercial that for kittens or cat food or whatever. Yeah. And it was a whole series. So I was employed for a while and it was great. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to do some storyboarding for it, got to draw cats for a long time, got to go on set and watch them. You know, you got to watch like, cats. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, you got to go great. on set. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. just watch kittens. That's great. <laughs> it was great because I was working with the director. So he wanted me to come on and like, you know, be drawing stuff while they were doing this. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, those opportunities are out there. I know it's hard, but if you can line up a job, even something like that, before you come out, that's going to save you so much just heartache and anxiety and all that stuff because money will go away so fast. Yeah. And sometimes you have to make the job and then tell companies you can do that job and then they'll give you the job. I'm Mm -hmm. thinking back to when I lived in Houston, I needed money. And so I got the art gallery guide that Mm. was published every couple of months. And I called 30, I think it was something like 30 art galleries and said, hi, Mm -hmm. I'm good at fixing websites and organizing documents and working online with files and taking photos. Do you need someone with those skills at your art gallery? And like the 15th or the 20th art gallery said, actually we do. They didn't contact me. They didn't say they were looking for a person. I just cold called people in an entire afternoon, Mm -hmm. went and interviewed them, gave them my rate. And they said, that sounds great. You can work with us three days a week. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to do that. Yeah. Sometimes you got to get creative. Yeah. Just tell people, I can do this for you. Mm -hmm. Would you be interested? And just keep doing that until someone says yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a couple friends. I think Wayman did this as well, but he had a job where he was moving from and was able to do that job remotely. Mm-hmm. So if you can line that up with your company, with the company you're working for, or find a job that you can do that, then you'll have a source of income that's still going when you get here, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, our, our advice is do as much as you can where you are and be really creative with your job hunt. Mm-hmm. and have a day job so that you could save up money, even if it's not in the industry, so that when you move out here, you're in better shape. Yeah. So what's our next question? So this one comes from Ray. Hello, Angela and Jeff. Thank you for creating this wonderful podcast. That's all, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> you helped, too. <laughs> I'm just a hanger on. I have a question about reaching out to recruiters that I've never met in person. I built some amazing connections with industry artists through Instagram and Twitter since we can easily comment on each other's work. But when it comes to recruiters, most of them are only active on LinkedIn. What's a good way to reach out to them on LinkedIn when there are 9,999 other artists that are also trying to talk to them? Thank you so much. That's a great question. I love that question. Yeah. I love that question. So two-part answer for that one. So first off, Ray, I want to commend you for reaching out to people because that can be very scary. So 
kudos on contacting artists that are doing what you want to do and commenting and asking them questions. That's great. And also kudos to you for wanting to reach out to recruiters. So here's what I've done in the past is when I've applied for jobs, I'll email the recruiters on LinkedIn, or if I can find their email, I try to also sometimes try to just find their email address. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you just type in the recruiter's names, you can just find their email address and then you can just email them and just say, hi, my name is Ray and I'm applying for X, Y, and Z job. And I just wanted to introduce myself to you because I've applied for this job. Thank you for your consideration. If you'd like to contact me, here's my email and telephone number. Here's a link to my portfolio. Have a wonderful day. And just do that for every recruiter. Just keep it nice and short, you know, three to four sentences and just do that for everybody. But not only for recruiters, also contact the production managers, as well as if you're applying for story, storyboard directors, if you're applying for design job, art directors. Because a lot of times, sometimes people get jobs and they don't get them through the recruiters. The recruiters are a vital step, but sometimes people just hire people that are referrals that they hear from other people. And so sometimes they don't even need to go to the recruiters because they have they have all the people that they need. And so if you can meet the production manager or meet the director either in person or online, sometimes that's better because I can think of myself. I didn't get my job through a recruiter. I got my job through a friend who knew the production manager. I've gotten all of my storyboard tests through friends who knew the production managers. And mm -hmm. production managers are people that a lot of people don't know exist. Mm -hmm. So look for them too. And also you mentioned that you have really good rapport with artists that you've met. If you see a job that you like and it's on a show that one of those artists work on, just ask them. Just mm -hmm. say, hey, I saw that your show's hiring. Can I give you my resume and cover letter? Can I give you my portfolio? Can you recommend me to your director? Can you mm -hmm. recommend me to your recruiter? Can you help me get a test? Just ask them because mm -hmm. they might say yes. I see this on Twitter all the time. Artists saying, hey, our show's hiring. DM me, send mm -hmm. me your portfolio so I can send it over. Yeah. That happens all the time. So. Yeah, contact the recruiters, but contact the people you've met too and just flat out ask them, hey, is your show hiring? Can yeah. I just send my stuff to you? Absolutely. I mean, that's how I got my job on BoJack was I saw Mike Hollingsworth posted something that BoJack was hiring. Yeah. You know, and I just happened to be following him on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, all three of them. And like you said, I think, yeah, having a breadth of people you are messaging and your example was great. Keep it short because they don't want to read a novel. Mm -hmm. And if they're looking for someone, they might check out your information and portfolio. But chances are they might not be. I've contacted so many recruiters and never got anything from them. Yeah. So, but keep at it. Like, you just never know. I, I know a few success stories where the recruiters actually contacted mm -hmm. people back. And also do your research because... I remember I messaged a recruiter on LinkedIn and then I Googled them afterwards 
and they had already left that studio. Yeah, Google first. Yeah, people and don't. I was like, oh no, yeah. like now I look like a fool and because yeah, they don't always update their information. Yeah, right away. yeah, stuff happens at the the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and recruiters are busy, you guys. Yes, don't take it personally if you don't hear back from them because they're getting hundreds, if not thousands, emails mm-hmm. all the time from everyone. And another thing you don't want to do, which I know that none of you dear listeners are doing because you're all good people who've been listening to our podcast for a while, do not go aggro on people if they haven't gotten back to you. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. I've heard stories from our recruitment team of people that email them and they're angry and they're demanding to get a test. And they're saying things like, I don't know why you haven't answered me. I've written to you so many times. Why don't you answer your emails? And they're mad. And our recruiters are thinking, well, I don't want to give you a test. I don't want to interview you. You're a crazy person. <laughs> you're going to come in and yell at the entire team because you're acting like a little privileged brat. So don't do that. No one owes you Mm-mm. anything. So if you don't hear from them, just say, all right, didn't hear from them. Oh, well, Mm -hmm. I'll try again in a couple months or I'll try to meet them in person. I'll email some other people. I'll go to some other events. I'll redo my portfolio. Maybe it just wasn't what they were looking for. I'll make other things. Mm -hmm. The thing you don't want to do is get super angry at people and then yell at them because then they won't want to talk to you ever. Yeah, and that goes for everyone yeah don't don't do that up and down the chain oh my gosh don't do and especially and we've said it before don't badmouth people on social media oh no way we know that you guys don't do that because you're smart and kind Mm -hmm. but don't don't let your friends do it that follows you the last thing you want to do is go on especially twitter don't go on twitter and badmouth a show because even if you hate that show even if it's the worst show you've ever seen. People remember, good people worked on that show, and one day they'll be on another show, and your name will come across their desk, and they'll look at it and they'll go, wait a minute, why is that familiar? <gasps> that's the person that said those horrible <laughs> things. I don't want to work with that person. Inner monologue, you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, if you hate a show, keep it on the inside. Talk amongst your friends at home, yeah. <laughs> not online. <laughs> Definitely. Because like, we know yeah. some shows are better than others, uh-huh. but you don't need to, don't do that. No, you don't need to voice your <laughs> critiques about these yeah. shows. Yeah, I mean, that's even tough for us, having a pocket. There's stuff that we haven't reviewed because we're just like, nah, man. Yeah. No, that's like kindling. No, right. we're going to leave that alone. I don't really have anything good to say, so let's just skip that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, we know people that work on lots of stuff, mm-hmm. and Heck, man, I worked in reality TV. Who am I to talk? I worked on some interesting things. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so just be chill and be cool. If you don't hear back from them, keep redoing your stuff. Yeah. So then our next question comes from Laura, and she goes, Hi, Animated Journey team. I have a few questions about starting a career in animation. And just a little backstory, Laura currently works in live action. So she's asking first... What if you are not a great artist and can't draw anything that does not resemble a stick figure? Good question. Second, I'm interested in becoming a director. What are the paths in animation to get there? Third, is animation production the same as physical productions where you can work up to 12 hours a day? Fourth, what are obstacles that animators have to overcome when creating a story in a sense 
since your imagination is the limit, how do you overcome writer's block or anything that can be an obstacle that delays production? And final question is actually a two-parter. Can you tell us what brings you the most joy about working in animation? And is it true that sometimes animators put hidden Easter eggs on shows? Well, that's a podcast in and of itself. Yeah. But I love all of Laura's questions. Yeah, great so we're going to answer all of them. So first, if you're not a great artist, you can't draw, what do you do? Well, it depends. If you want to become an artist, so let's say you're not interested in the production route or the editing route. If you want to become a great artist, you're going to have to learn how to draw. Hmm. If you're a 3D animator, you don't necessarily have to know how to draw. Some people say, no, you need to know. I know tons of 3D animators and layout artists. They cannot draw. They love 3D. They're great at it. So it just depends on what you want to do within animation. Obviously, if you want to be an artist, you're going to have to take classes. And you can learn. We have plenty of friends that, I mean, this wasn't my first career. This wasn't your first career. Mm -hmm. I have friends that were engineers and scientists and Mm -hmm. decided to go into it, and they just took a ton of classes. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, you know, when I was doing my webcomic, if you look at comic number one and then compare it to comic number 500, there's a huge difference because I was learning as I was going along, and anyone can do the same thing. The more you do it, the better you're going to get, I promise you. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So second, she's talking about becoming a director and what are the paths to get there. Most common path is through storyboarding mm-hmm. because it's story. Being a director is being able to tell a story. And it's also being able to lead a team of people and you have to understand what everybody's job is. And so if you're coming from story, you're not only learning storyboarding, you're learning how to be a cinematographer. You're learning how to be an editor. You're learning how to be a writer. You're learning character design and environment design and prop design and special effects. It encompasses a tons, of, tons and tons of jobs. It's why it's a very hard job to do but it's why most directors come out of story because they have all of those skills and they're able to translate that and work with their entire team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every director I've worked with is an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Like they can draw fast and they can draw efficiently and they can communicate their ideas with drawings. So I want to be a director. That's what I'm working toward. And the more effective you can be with your drawings, the more effective you'll be as a director. So yes, I would definitely be working on your drawing skills if you want to direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and other routes are in the olden days, which is weird saying olden days because it doesn't feel that old, but like <laughs> 80s and 90s, like I'm thinking of like Disney animators, a lot of directors were animators mm-hmm. for the same reason. You know, they had to understand character and movement and story and whatnot. So an animation you're an animator or storyboard artist, that's usually the path to being a director. Yeah. But I also think of things like like sitcom animated shows like The Simpsons or Family Guy or Bojack. I imagine that you can also become a director through writing. I haven't met any primetime animation writers who became directors. But I imagine that exists. 
I'm sure there's somebody out there that's done that too. We could probably find. We could probably case, find but, yeah. somebody. Mm -hmm. So that could also be a path if you're a writer, but that's typically more on the prime time side than on like the children's or like teen side of things. Mm -hmm. Third, animation production, same as physical productions, where you can work up to twelve hours a day. It can be, but <laughs> usually those are animation. It's not typical. You're. You're not typically, if you're working 12 hours a day, that's probably on a show that's not run super well, to be perfectly honest with you, or it's a show that's new. Like mm -hmm. maybe it's in its first, second season. Most animated shows by like second, third season, you come in at nine, you leave at six. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you might work overtime if it's a special or really big episode, but it's not like being on set where you're working like 18 hour days or the actor didn't get their roast beef sandwich and now they won't come out of their star wagon trailer. Like that's typically not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So many live action sets I've been on, it went way later. Some of those days were just 12, 15 hour days. When I was doing independent animation, there were some times where I was up 24 hours Ugh. because before I learned to say no, <laughs> which you got to learn to say no, you know, yeah. it took me a while. But, say, BoJack, even when it was non-union, they wouldn't let me work over eight hours. Yeah. You know? They would tell me, go home. Yeah, and our production does that, too, because mm -hmm. they don't want to get in trouble yeah. with the guild, you right. know? But I will say, though, that there are crunch times, too. Like I mentioned, you know, you have, like, a special going on with the show. Like, at a lot of movie studios, when they're close to the end... It's not uncommon for people to work on Saturdays, but you're getting paid. Right. So they're not asking you to come in and just work for free. You're getting paid. The times that I've had to work overtime, they paid us overtime and they also got us food mm -hmm. because we were having to work overtime. Yeah. So occasionally that does happen, but it's not as frequently as live action. Because live action too, you have to deal with things beyond your control a lot of times mm -hmm. that... Maybe the camera equipment's not working. Maybe people were late to set. Maybe it started raining. Maybe you're wrangling animals or kids. And so you have these weird factors that they just don't really come into play in animation. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit easier for that not to happen. So then fourth, obstacles that animators have to overcome when creating a story. Since your imagination is the limit, how do you overcome like writer's block or other delays? So those are different it's actually different things for different people. So what you're actually talking about are different jobs. So writer's block is coming from the writers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they deal with that. All I know is that all of our scripts come in on time. <laughs> so either they're staying up all night, they're not getting writer's block, or they've figured out a way. Here's the thing. You figure it out because it's due. Yeah. <laughs> you have six weeks to board so your board is done in six weeks mm -hmm. you have four to six weeks to write so your script is done in four to six weeks you have two weeks to design so your designs are done in two weeks so whatever mental block you have you work that out amongst yourself and get stuff turned in yeah deadlines are a yeah. great motivator yeah just from I listen to the Script Notes podcast. Oh, I love that podcast. Yeah, it's so great. But I know one of the tactics they use to get rid of writer's block is to go out into the world, go on a walk, play with your kid, 
do something else. Don't concentrate on the writing process and then come back when you're refreshed. That's one way. Another way is to kind of use flashcards and try and stimulate your mind in other ways, like come at it from a different angle. But yeah, I haven't been writing in a long time. So yeah. yeah. My thing, honestly, I don't know if this works for everybody. I just stare at it till it's done mm. most of the time. It's like, I have to get it done. So I'm just gonna sit here until I think of something, whether yeah. it's good or bad. I just sit there and think of something or I get up and take a walk or I work on a different part of the script mm -hmm. or a different part of the board. And I'm talking about, you know, when I'm writing my own scripts, when I'm doing my own boards, sometimes I'll have a placeholder. So in my scripts, I've written things like cool scene will happen here and mm -hmm. I'll write everything else and come back to it or I'll just stare at it or I'll just think of something. Just <laughs> even if it's like, this is kind of lame, but I need something here and I'll come back later just so I have some kind of connective tissue. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be pure gold. And that's the thing too. When you're writing scripts and when you're doing boards and designs for a production, you're getting more than one pass. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you go away and write it and no one's checking in on you. Your directors are checking in on you once every one to two weeks. Mm -hmm. You're getting design reviews. You're doing rough passes of the boards. You're doing a premise, an outline, a rough, a second draft, a third draft of a script. So that helps. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you're a writer, you're in a room with other people. And so you're bouncing off ideas. And when you're rough pitching, you're with your directors, and so you're bouncing off ideas. So it's not like you're just going away for weeks and no one has any idea what you're doing and you're just alone. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have people to talk to. Definitely. And even your coworkers, too. Like my coworkers, I'm, you know, I sit in an office now and they talk to each other if they're mm -hmm. stuck, you know? They're oh, like yeah. bounce ideas off each other in, in the room oh, yeah. before that they even talk so to the director. Oh, yeah, so much just talking it out with someone else. Yeah. That definitely helps. Or talk yeah. it out with your friends at home or your roommates mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah, I when I was doing some of the indie projects, and sometimes I would get board block. Like, I'd get the script or the VO and just be like, where do I even start? And generally, I would start at the, the part where I knew what I wanted to do or I was excited about figuring it out mm -hmm. and just do that part. And then, you know, you don't have to do it linearly. Yeah. You can choose the parts that you want to work on. And then you just kind of figure out how to connect those moments mm -hmm. and... <laughs> like we said, once the deadline starts coming, you'll figure out how to do all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And what I do is sometimes, it depends on what it is, but when I'm revising, sometimes I do all the easy stuff first mm -hmm. because it's like I can knock that out really quick. But sometimes I do the really hard part because I'm like, this is hard, but this is the most important. Mm -hmm. So if this is the only part that gets done today. This is the part that they need. And that's another way you can do it too is... What do people need the most? Mm -hmm. If you're doing like sections of a thing, do the part that's the most pressing part. Yeah. So yeah. And then finally, what brings you the most joy? Is it true that animators put hidden Easter eggs on shows? <laughs> so, Jeff, what sparks joy for you? <laughs> what sparks joy in the whole process? I don't know. I love the entire process because I just feel so fortunate to be in this industry and drawing and let me see. I'm now I'm just trying to figure out what was my favorite part of working on some of these things. Hmm. Wow. 
I don't know. What's yours? And maybe I'll spark something in my head <laughs> once you're talking. Mine is, I love drawing. Drawing in and of itself is fun. Mm-hmm. It is very fun. I like drawing things that are simple. I like drawing things that are hard. It's just fun to draw. And having wanted to draw as a job for 15 years mm-hmm. and finally being able to do it and getting paid to do it and work with nice people on a show that I really like that I know is helping kids is a big deal to me because as I've mentioned many times before, I've worked on some gnarly shows. I've had some really awful, awful jobs and it's really great to work on a job that I don't hate, (laughs) that I genuinely like and I like being there and it's fun. It's just fun to draw all day. That's a really fun thing to do and it's fun being able to you know, sometimes it's, hey, draw this, draw this, draw this, depending mm-hmm. on what it is. But sometimes it's give them a more interesting pose than what they have or push this pose or, hey, they didn't even give them a pose. We need to put them there. And then I get to make up the pose that they're doing. Mm-hmm. I get to figure out, oh, I'm going to put this person here and this person's here and I'm going to have this person do this and I'm going to have this person do this. And mm-hmm. it's fun. It's fun thinking about how they would stand or what their expression would be and just giving them I mean that's what animation is it's creating it's drawing life yeah it's putting life into something that didn't have life before yeah no that's good answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think there's something for me maybe because I was in the acting profession for so long but even just drawing a dramatic scene of two characters talking, which was, you know, a lot of what BoJack was about. I love doing those scenes just as much as the action scenes, if not more. There's something, there's just an alchemy with animation, with cartoons, where when you're drawing them and then it syncs to the sound and the background and everything, it's just, I created this. This is incredible and it's coming to life in front of my eyes Mm -hmm. and it's there's just something cool about it yeah you know i love it it's i'm so happy we're in this industry i am too i am too so next question have you put any oh yeah oh yeah easter is it true yes it is definitely (laughs) true on our show we have caricatures of every single person on our crew Mm-hmm. We are in episodes of our show. Oh, yeah. So if you know what we look like, you can find us <laughs> in many of your favorite episodes. I challenge you to find me. I'm in a lot of them, nice. as are many of my coworkers. <laughs> People's pets are in episodes. People's dogs are in it. Characters are named after people that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a thing. And that's not just for Loud House. I've seen that on other Nick shows where if you know what people look like, you can see them and it's fun. And not only that, but I think of things like Pixar. A113, that was the classroom at CalArts. It's in almost mm-hmm. every single Pixar movie. People do that all the time. They'll put, they'll write the names of their kids on like, chalkboard walls and shows Mm -hmm. like i've seen stuff like that they'll put caricatures of things they'll put references to other tv shows other cartoons that Mm -hmm. they really like people do this 
all the time. <laughs> I think in every animated show, yeah. there are Easter eggs. Yeah. Even if you never pick up on them, there's something personal. Mm-hmm. It's just because... Why we're, not? We yeah, can do it. That we do it's it. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm going to draw my friend into mm-hmm. the scene. And that happens in live action, too. I think of J.J. Yeah. Abrams. I believe his grandfather is named Kelvin. Mm. And so, you know, there's the USS Kelvin and Star Trek. And then in Super 8, there's like a Kelvin convenience store. Mm. I mean, yeah. if you work in TV, one of your biggest, or movies, one of your biggest goals is to put something that you and your friends know into it so that you can sit back and laugh and oh, go, yeah. ha ha, look what I did there. Yeah. That yeah. happens all the time. It's great. <laughs> On Bojack, I was always trying to slip in little things. Yeah. Is there a caricature of you? I know there's a caricature of a couple of people. No. I've recognized a few people in yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't get in it, but like Mike Hollingsworth, of course, is in it. Yeah. And one of the cool things in this last half of the season is on the comedy store that's you know a real place on sunset boulevard yeah they put all our names on the outside of the building because on on the real comedy store they it's the names of the comedians that have done stand-up there well they put our names on there and so as soon as i found out i was like where am i (laughs) (laughs) and i found my name it was like super cool yeah but myself, I tried to, one of my buddies is super into The Godfather. He's in the, my comic strip. He's called The Cornfather. That's like his name. And so I tried to put in, you know, on Bojack, it's all animal puns. So on a billboard, I put The Codfather Part 4. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and I drew a little cod in the oh, tuxedo with the red oh, rose. Oh, I love that. It didn't make it in because oh, no. on that episode, they needed that billboard for a story point. So oh. I was like, oh, no. But I'm trying to think of some of the things I did get in. Well, like on, I think it's the very last episode, no spoilers, the Bojack has to eat a sandwich and uh-huh. then it gets on his suit or whatever. And there's this running thing with my sister and I because I'll spare you the long story, <laughs> but she ate a sandwich and it was a meatball sandwich and the meatballs went everywhere and it's we've never forgotten it and it's been going on for like 15 years we always tease her about it so i asked the director aaron i was like do you mind if i make this sandwich a meatball sandwich (laughs) and he's like dude go for it so i did it and i you know did a lot of frames for it because i wanted the meatballs to come out in a certain way and it got into the show so i was like cool my meatball sandwich is Mm -hmm. in you know but yeah it was pretty cool yeah people do that all the time and even if it's not an Easter egg, we'll just put in weird things yeah. because it makes us laugh. I remember there's an episode of Hey Arnold where there's a billboard that says used food. It's not a story. <laughs> it's just a weird thing, but it's hysterical. And you're looking at it going, what? <laughs> so, so just weirdness. We're weird. Animation people are fun and weird and delightful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So this is something, Laura, that... You have to look forward to. Oh, yeah. When you join us in the industry, you too can add weird, <laughs> funky things into your episodes. You got to. Yeah, you have to. It's, 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 like, it's like a creed. Yeah, yeah. And everyone loves it. So, yeah, people, yeah, people love expected, it. It's expected almost. Yeah, so, and yeah. It's, it's fun. It's a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, our next question comes from Instagram again. This comes from Wackadoodle. And... The Wackadoodle has questions 
about international students. And this is why I wanted to answer this. We've done episodes about international students. This is a very important topic. So she said, as a recent graduate, I have realized that it is hard to be hired full time as a storyboard artist at most studios as projects have an irregular timeline. Since we cannot be unemployed for more than 90 days in a year, what path would you suggest for people like me? And then second, in order to stay and work in the US, we need a company to be e-verified to work for them. I have researched and found out that very few studios are e-verified. I'm assuming that means like visa status. Uh, is there a reason for this? So I just want to point out that those are two great questions. And I just want to give a shout out and commend anyone who is an international student, because that is tough. I'm not going to even pretend to know what that experience is like coming from another country and studying here or studying in another country and then wanting to come to the US. I have my own thoughts and opinions about our visa process. This is not a political podcast, so I won't get into it. I don't like it. I think we could improve it a lot anyway. So kudos to you guys for trying. So as far as that, it's it's hard. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. lie about it. it is hard. It's very hard if you're international to come and work in the States. It's not impossible. A couple of people that we've interviewed, uh, we've mentioned Nick Gregory on the show, Yvonne Hussein Ho, it was another person that we interviewed on the show. Uh, we've interviewed a number of people who moved from other countries to come and work in the States, and we'll put them in the show notes because all of them have very different experiences that can speak to what you're asking about. But short answer, be amazing. I know that's really tough, but be amazing. Everybody that we've worked with on our shows, Loud House and Bojack, or friends that we've known, or other people that we've met, they were very, very good. And the reason why they were very good was a lot of people did not move to the States right away. A lot of people actually started in their home countries or other countries close by, worked for several years at different studios, built up a portfolio and a reputation, and had a good online following, and then would come and visit the States and go to different conventions or give talks or seminars or teach classes. And that's what led the companies to view them and then hire them. Because unfortunately, it's more expensive to hire someone from overseas or from another country, you know, from Canada or Mexico, if you're here in the States. And so you have to prove yourself in a way that people that are already here don't have to prove themselves because they're already here. Mm -hmm. And even once you're here, it's still difficult because if anything changes, like with BoJack, it went from non-union to union mid-season. And so everyone who was working on a visa, because the, I think the production name changed, they all had to go get new visas you know, or update their visas to whatever this production, new production company name was. So we had a couple directors that needed to do that and it was not easy, but yeah, it's doable. Yeah, so. but it's hard, it's hard. Mm -hmm. We're not gonna pretend that it's not because I don't mm -hmm. think that would be fair. I can think of, so both of my directors are from Canada. And so the way they did it was one of my directors co-created a television show 
So that helped him get a job mm -hmm. down here. And the other made a short that got extremely popular online and she went to different conventions. She was already working in the industry and that helped her be able to come to the States. Hmm. So we're not kidding when you tell, you gotta, you gotta go big. Mm -hmm. So make a short, make your own material, pitch things. Again, you have to start where you're at and especially for international, have a very good online presence. Mm -hmm. Because since you're not necessarily going to be able to come to the States all the time, people are going to be looking at your work online. So mm -hmm. do your best where you're at and just constantly be creating good work. And then as far as need to work for a U.S. company, usually the you want to aim for the bigger companies because they have the budget to bring in people with visas. Mm -hmm. So Shadow Machine... Nickelodeon, DreamWorks, Disney, Pixar, those are the ones that are going to be able to bring you in more than the smaller ones. But again, because those are the bigger studios and they're more well-known, the competition's more fierce. Mm -hmm. So you're competing with more people. Yeah, and I know a couple of them, the people that I worked with, worked for, say, Disney in Australia. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to have that experience there and then come over with it. So if you can work for a studio, you mentioned this already, but if you can work and get experience with a studio wherever you are, it's going to help when you get here. Mm -hmm. And you can also reach out to people. We had a storyboard artist that she was in France. She followed a creator of our show on Facebook, messaged them on Facebook, and then was freelancing and then they liked her work enough that they brought her here. And that's what happened with our director that co-created a show. He started freelancing and then they brought him in. So that can happen too, hmm. where sometimes you'll be freelancing from whatever country you're living in. Yeah. And then they'll bring you in-house. Mm -hmm. So that can also happen. But mm -hmm. do as much as you can where you are. Mm -hmm. I cannot, and this goes for everybody, cannot stress this enough. Do as much as you can where you are. Create as much where you are. Get to know people where you are. It can only help. Right. And we're saying that it is doable. Mm -hmm. So don't give up. Yeah. We know people who have done it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And if you're still in school, a lot of internships are available for international students. You don't have to necessarily be a domestic student to get mm -hmm. an internship. So if you're still in school, apply for every single internship. Because a lot of people end up getting hired through the internship program. And then you get to stay, which is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and when you're applying for shows... If you're concerned about how long you'll be able to stay, maybe shoot for more established shows mm -hmm. that have a longer track record. That's not to say that they won't get canceled, but maybe you'll be better off in a show that's in season two or three than a show that's in season one, but there's really no way to tell for that. Right. Okay, so Jeff, what other questions do we have? I have one here that I thought was pretty good. This is from Roberto. What are some of the most important traits to, quote, make it in the animation industry? He mentioned, is it knowing how to draw or is it the speed of things? What would be the best trait to have? Okay, so more than one. This reminds me of what you mentioned before of um, the secret. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the secret right. to getting in? What's the... The magic formula. That special sauce. The yeah. special sauce. Mm -hmm. There is no special sauce. I wish there was. Yeah. I would patent it and sell it. <laughs> bottle it. I would bottle it. I'd be a millionaire. Is great. 
There is no special sauce. There's a number of skills, though, that can help. Definitely drawing. Mm -hmm. Number one, you have to be able to actually do the job. If you yeah. can't draw, they'll find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? The so, first day, they'll find out. Yeah, they'll out. find out. If, if, somehow, Very quickly. if somehow you got in, mm -hmm. they'll figure out you can't do it, you'll get fired. Oh, yeah. So, so I actually heard yeah. a story about someone who oh, no. used someone else's portfolio. Oh, don't do got that. Got into a studio gig and then just tried to fake it and Ooh. was found out pretty quickly. I don't even know how. It, it's a crazy Yeah, story. don't do that. Yeah. One, that's... You're just being a terrible person because mm -hmm. you're stealing. Two, you just basically put a scarlet letter right on your chest oh, yeah. that you're a thief. Yeah. So you're a liar and a thief. Don't be a liar and a th <laughs> don't be a liar and a thief, Roberta. That's our first. Which I'm sure you're not. You sound like a delightful person. But first tip. First tip. Don't lie. Okay. In all seriousness, though, know your fundamentals. Bobby Chu who runs Schoolism, talks about this all the time, as does practically every single teacher, is know your fundamentals. You know, color, light, perspective, all those things. Just know the fundamentals of drawing. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. And then you specialize from there, depending on, you know, if you want to be a background painter, to learn things about painting. If you want to be a story artist, you need to learn things about cinematography and editing and gesture. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a prop designer, learn how to draw tables and lamps and chairs and toilets and sofas and all that kind of stuff. So it just depends on specifically what you want to do. But number one, you have to actually learn the skill that you're going for. And then number two, being able to network effectively with people. And mm -hmm. as we've learned on the show, networking is not a dirty word. Networking is a wonderful thing because, surprise, you're going to be doing that your entire career. Mm -hmm. It's not just for your first job. It's every job you will ever have until you retire. Yeah. Accept this and you'll do well. Just, yeah. just accept that now. Yeah. I was talking to my friend about this recently where we were like, how important is networking and it depends on we were kind of trying to define it you know because even just being friends with someone is networking mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have to be i'm going to this event at a bar or a restaurant and i'm trying to hand out my card to as many people as possible that doesn't have to be all that networking is mm -hmm. networking can just be hey can we go to lunch with someone, you know, that you want to be friends with or going to lunch with friends at where you work? You know, if you get into a studio or an independent studio or whatever, just widening your circle of friends is networking. Mm -hmm. So and it's so important. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. can be fun. I mean, mm -hmm. just think of it as hey, I'm meeting new people. If you think of it as I'm meeting new people that are interesting, that takes the pressure off because then it becomes whether they help me get a job or not, whether I mm -hmm. help them get a job or not, I have now met people that are interesting, that I like being around. Right. Even if we don't become super good friends, if I see them and be like, hey, how you doing? How's it going? Mm -hmm. That is also networking. Yeah. Also, being self-motivated because it's crushing. The mm -hmm. entertainment industry can crush you because mm -hmm. it's constant rejection from all sides all the time because you're on Instagram and you're seeing 19 year olds going, I'm self-taught and their art is beautiful. And you're going, oh, 
why did I spend so much money at art school? Or you're in art school and you're like, but that person's so much better. Or you can't afford school. And you're looking at going, if only I could go to school. Or even if you have a job, you're going, well, my art's okay, but that person's great. There's always going to be somebody else. And so that's really hard. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to motivate yourself and say, you know what? I am where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm content with where I am. And I'm going to work on this so that I can also improve. You have to have it within yourself to encourage and motivate yourself to keep going, especially mm -hmm. when you're not getting any tests, you're not getting any responses, and all your friends are getting jobs, mm -hmm. and you're not getting a job. It's a choice. You have to choose to keep going yeah definitely so having that internal grit mm -hmm. is something that you have to have yeah yeah and i think speed he mentioned speed mm -hmm. speed is definitely a factor you want to be as fast a jar as you can be because i know for me as fast as i thought i was i needed to be faster and even now i want to get even faster because there are days when you're going to have to draw you know, many, many pages and many, many figures and actions and mm -hmm. backgrounds and all sorts of stuff when you're boarding that the faster you are, the better you're going to do in this business, I think, because there's also a reliability factor. And if someone wants this scene done by the end of the day and you should be able to, like a normal person should be able to without you know killing yourself then you need to be fast enough to get that done mm -hmm. and if you're slow it's just going to hinder you yeah so work on those gesture drawings i'm still working on it i'm doing gesture i'm doing just trying to find out shortcuts i can do in flash and storyboard pro to get myself faster so very important absolutely and i'm doing the same thing i signed up for an online gesture drawing class yeah. for that same reason i'll also add to that that Speed comes with time. Mm -hmm. So like you were saying, the reason why you want to take all those classes is the better you are, the faster you'll become yeah. because you'll learn those shortcuts. It's a muscle memory. You'll learn how to do stuff faster the more that you do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm faster. I've only been doing this for two months right. and I can draw the characters faster than I could just two months ago. Yeah, You're a lot faster at drawing. And oh, you were yeah. working on it for a year. You're mm -hmm. like way faster now. So... I would say don't worry so much about speed when you're applying for a job because you'll get there. Just know that when you get the job, you're going to need to turn in things on time. Yeah. So you're just going to have to figure out ways to do that, but still sleep and eat. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that comes with practice. So you'll get that later on. But first, you have to actually be good. <laughs> so work on. So right now, just work on getting good and meeting people and staying motivated to do the job. Mm -hmm. And another skill, which a lot of people don't talk about, have a life outside of this industry. Yeah. It's really hard when you're trying to get in. I would say that when you're trying to get in, I understand why you don't have a life. I didn't have a life mm -hmm. when I was trying to get in last year. Pff, what life? What are we talking about? <laughs> but now that I'm doing what I want to do, mm -hmm. now I'm exercising. Now I'm sleeping more, eating better food, going outside, meeting different people. Don't make just cartoons your whole 
life because I don't make you go nuts. Mm -hmm. It's good to have friends outside of the industry, hobbies outside of the industry, other interests, other things to talk about. It'll help you with your stress so that mm -hmm. you have other things. And this goes for any job, whether it's animation or not. You don't want your job to be your entire life because I've seen this happen where shows get canceled, shows suddenly end, creators are fired, creators die. All of a sudden you don't have a job. You don't want your whole world crumbling down just because you lost a job. Mm -hmm. Job loss is terrible, but if you have other things going for you, kind of softens the blow. You can go, okay, well, this is gone, but that's okay. I have these other things. I'll get another job eventually. I still have a life. Yeah, that's very important. Mm -hmm. And if you become too much of a recluse, like I have done, <laughs> <laughs> you start to lose your people skills. And people skills are very important when you're working at a studio because you have to be able to talk to the director or your coworkers and take criticism and not lose it, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or not have your ego crumble if someone tells you to change something. Like, that is very important to be able to know how to talk to people and change your work without stressing out about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or making it into some big drama. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm -hmm. What other questions have we got, Jeff? We've answered a lot of these questions just in talking about some of the some of the other questions that came in. I think this one maybe we haven't talked about today. All right, I'll put it out there and okay. see what happens. This one's from Abby. Is it worth going to an art college to learn animation? Is that my best chance of getting into the industry? Which we have touched on already. Yeah. That that's not the only way to get into this industry. It isn't. So... Yeah. It depends. Mm -hmm. For some people, yes. For other people, no. So it depends. So I will say this until the day that I die. Do not take out student loans. Mm. Student loans are terrible. I took out student loans. It will take me six years to pay them back. They suck. So if you want to go to school, don't get loans. There might be people out there going, you have to get loans. No, you don't. There's scholarships, there's working through school, there's going to a cheaper school. So that's number one. So if you want to go to school, and school can be great. We're not against school. School can be great. Oh, yeah. But I am very big on the no debt train. Mm -hmm. And student loans for art school are gross. And the first job you get out of school, especially if you're an intern or a PA, you are not going to be able to pay off that loan on an intern or PA salary. It will take you years to get to the point where you can pay that off. So that's the first thing. But as far as going to school, like you said, it's not the only way. It is one way. It is an effective way. But it's not the only way. Really, what you need is training. Mm -hmm. You can get training at a four-year school. You can get training at a two-year school. You can get training at an online school. You can train yourself. Yeah. If you're disciplined enough... I know people that have learned through YouTube. Yeah. You know, they learned through YouTube and books and workshops and seminars, and they were just grinding until they got a job. You can go to places like Concept Design Academy. We know people that teach classes, like, you know, Steve Ahn, who is on the show, he teaches mm -hmm. classes. Animation Guild offers classes. Sometimes you can take them and not be a guild member. Mm -hmm. So what you need is training. You just need an avenue where 
you can gain the skills. And the reason why a lot of people go to school is because that's that's what a school is. It's built in. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to there's less that you have to do to find it because it's already built into the curriculum. Everything's already there. You just have to sign up for that. That being said, some schools are better than others. And while we don't advocate one school over another on the show, as far as brick and mortar schools go, a good way to do it is to work backwards. So Abby, first figure out what specifically you want to do in animation. So if you know, I want to be a background painter, I want to be a storyboard artist, I want to be a character designer, I want to be an animatic editor, I want to be a writer, find out what skills you need to have that job by going to the job listings. So look up the studios, look up the job posts, see what skills you have to have, and then go and look at different classes at different schools or online courses or what have you, and make sure they're actually teaching you that. Because the last thing you want to do is go to a school that says art on it, and they're not actually teaching you the things that will actually get you a job. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's a fancy school or a not fancy school. Make sure they're actually teaching you the right stuff. And if you do decide to go to a four-year brick-and-mortar school or a two-year school, it's a good idea to go to a school where the teachers are still active professionals Mm -hmm. because they have their thumb on the pulse of what's actually going on. That's not to say that teachers that have retired from the industry don't know what's going on. I'm just saying that teachers that are still working have more current information especially if you want to work in television, especially now because everything is streaming. Everything's going so fast. Yeah. So you want people that can tell you about it. And also I know people that have gotten hired by their teachers on shows. Yeah. So if your teacher's on a show and they like your work, they might hire you on their show. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. Uh I've seen that happen at Concept Design Academy. I know that's happened at CalArts. That happened for Joseph, who is on our show. He worked on Cuphead. He got hired by one of his teachers. Nice. One of our teachers hired him because he was in class. He did a great job, and he went, hey, I know that you can do stuff. Actually, the teacher didn't hire him. The teacher recommended him because mm-hmm. the teacher was also working on Cuphead. So, and that also goes into networking. Whatever school or non-school you go to, again, you're meeting people. The nice thing about school is you're automatically meeting people. Mm-hmm. You have 15 to 30 people in a class. Mm -hmm. You automatically have connections with all your classmates. You automatically have connections with all your teachers. And also for internships, most internships, you have to be a student or you have to have graduated. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that of all the people that I know, about a third of them to about half got in because they were interns. Mm -hmm. So it's not a guarantee that you'll get an internship and that that internship will lead to a job, but we're talking probabilities here. We're talking putting your best foot forward and giving yourself the most chances. If you go to a four-year school, you have a greater chance of meeting more people. Mm -hmm. You have a greater chance of getting an internship. You have a greater chance of learning more things like you might think that hey i want to do this specific job go to Mm -hmm. school and discover you want to do something else like for me i wanted to be a 2d animator even though i knew that 2d didn't really exist that Mm -hmm. much which turns out it still does in a lot of ways but i want to do 2d animation guess what 
I did not enjoy animating. <laughs> I would not have guessed that. I did not like it at all. But I discovered that I really liked storyboarding in school. So I switched, and that's now what I'm doing. So you might go to school and find out you like doing something else. So that can also be good. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts on it? I agree with all of that. I did not go to an art college, so I guess I'm an example of someone <laughs> that did not go that route. I am actually an English major, but I did take classes at the Guild. I took 2D animation. I was taking gesture. But it's so important what you said about focus on what you want to do because it wasn't until I took Chris Wimberly's mentorship, his storyboarding mentorship class, that I was like, yes, that is what I want to do. Before that, I was like, I generally want to work in the animation industry. I guess I'd be an animator. But until I did storyboarding and actually worked it as like a 2D TV animator, I didn't get that love for it. So take classes online, offline. Schools are great, but there are many paths into this industry. There's not just one. And I don't think there's one best way. So mm -hmm. internships are great, though. I yeah. Mean, if you can get an internship, go for it. Mm -hmm. Internships are very good. But again, not a guarantee. Yep. I had an internship at Pixar. As you can see, I'm not working at Pixar. So, <laughs> but that's fine. You know, right. like yeah. I ended up working at Nick and Nick is lovely. So mm -hmm. there you go. But yeah, it's just whatever works best for you and your learning style and you being able to gain the skills that you need and meet the people that you need to meet and not go into debt. Yes, I'm, I'm that's gonna, key. I'm going to repeat that till the day I die. Don't go into debt. If you're in debt, get out of debt as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, good tip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any other questions? That's it. All right. Well, you guys, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. You're all very brave because I know it can be very scary to ask people that you haven't met in person, like, hey, read my thoughts and dreams and desires online for other people. Yeah. But know that you guys' questions have helped out a lot of people that have those same questions. And I just want to say to all of you guys, it has been a joy doing this show. It has been so cool seeing your comments on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and answering your questions and getting to meet a lot of you in person and at events and conventions and giving talks to different students. You guys are wonderful, and I have a lot of hope for the next generation of people coming in and for people that are currently in. We have a lot of professionals that listen to the show, too. You guys are an inspiration to all of us, so thank mm -hmm. you. Just thank you to everybody. It has been really great getting yeah. to do this. It has, and before we shut this down, I want to turn the mic ah. <laughs> and ask you some questions. Okay. And so this doesn't turn into an even longer podcast. I figure we'd just do some rapid fire ones. Oh my gosh. But what? yeah, like I can't let you off that easy. You can't let me. <laughs> Dang it. I thought I did it. It's like, ha <laughs> it got away. It's okay. okay. All right. Shoot. So I'm this ready. is just off the top of your head. All right. It doesn't mean it's. 100% in concrete, your best answer. It's just what just came into your head. Okay. All right, first one. What's been the most memorable interview for you of the entire podcast run? Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's been a few. So, Steve Ons is one of my favorite interviews. And it's because 
So Steve Vaughn, for those of you who don't know, he was a director on Voltron. He created Blossom Holmes Detective. He's now a director on the untitled Star Trek series at Nickelodeon. He is so talented. He is super, super talented. His artwork is great. He has worked on tons of shows that are my favorite shows. We got to see him over at the Art Institute, me and you and Jake and Isaiah. Mm -hmm. We took a little road trip and got to hear him talk. And one of the reasons, I would say the reason that I love that interview is he is so humble. For someone who is that talented to be that humble Mm -hmm. and to care so much about his family is unreal to me. And it gives me a lot of hope because one day I want to be a director and I want a family. And I feel like he's a really good model of how to treat people and how to work really hard. And he struggled. He struggled really hard. You know, he came from South Korea and was learning English and had to go through American schools and went to CalArts and he didn't get a job right away out of CalArts, which, and I know a lot of people, the perception is that, oh, if I go to CalArts or RISD or mm-hmm. Art Center, that I'll have a job right away. And that's not always the case. And I thought that was really cool. He said, no, I didn't get a job right away. And I was really depressed about it. Mm-hmm. And we heard him talk about storyboarding and how he would meet friends that were character designers, prop designers, background designers, and then became art directors. And mm-hmm. he was struggling to get into boards mm-hmm. and just how hard that was. And I really admire people that admit that things are difficult, that admit that things are hard, that admit that they have to struggle and things make them sad, which is the reason why I like to tell people this mm-hmm. because it's really It's stupid how hard it is to get in. Mm -hmm. And I really admire just his forthrightness about it. He's a really cool guy. So that was a really good interview. And then also another really good interview was, ah, there's so many, (laughs) so many, so many. But I really enjoyed, I interviewed a couple of my teachers and a couple of my mentors. You know, Mm -hmm. I got to interview Scotland who is one of my teachers, one of my favorite teachers at school, and that was a big, big deal for me. Mm-hmm. I got to interview Rosie, my mentor at Pixar, and that was a really big deal to me. And then, you know, one of my other teachers, Tamara Lusher Stalker, who she's one of my favorite teachers. And these are some people that these were some of the first people that I interviewed with. And also my friend Margie, mm-hmm. you know, Margie Bordner. They were some of the first interviews I ever had before I had a job, mm-hmm. before I had any jobs. And I was like, well, come on my show and talk and they helped me not only with my art but just really encouraging me and letting me know that hey you can do this you can get a job you're not gonna die it's gonna be okay but those were some of the ones that to me I'm just like Mm -hmm. yeah but I just want to say for everyone who's been on the show thank you thank you so much because it's a tough thing to admit your trials and your tribulations and the things that scare you and the things that go well and bad shows you've been on and Mm -hmm. good shows that you've been on. And, oh, my gosh, I know we're not ever going to do it, but I wish there's a lot of edited parts Mm -hmm. that I wish we could put in of, like, really crazed stories from people that it's like, 
I don't want people to lose their jobs. Right. So, right. yeah, it means a lot. It mm-hmm. means a lot that people are willing to come in and share. Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult to be interviewed and oh, yeah. come on a show when you're not used to that kind of thing, yeah. you know, because a lot of us are very introverted and... Mm-hmm. So to come in and share your experience, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and a lot of people, they've never been on a microphone before, right. let alone a podcast. Yeah, they've never yeah. been recorded. And so they're like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> ah. So thank you, guys. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so next question, and this is just a silly one, so you just have to, yeah. you know, just pop whatever comes in your head. Okay. This is my Barbara Walters question. <laughs> so if this podcast were a tree... What kind of tree would it be? Oh, gosh. It might be this weird, gnarly-looking thing. <laughs> I know like windswept. Yeah, I know like... that y'all are thinking, oh, it'd be this majestic redwood. No, it would be all kinds of crazy. Because there have been ugh, there have been nights where we've been editing things. Oh You've been editing things. Yeah. I've been editing things. And, like, the sound was bad. And you're hearing people's cats and there's crickets and sirens and garage doors and squeaky chairs and rain and then weird technical difficulties Mm. with stuff not working and having to reschedule guests and guests forgetting to come (laughs) on the show and disappearing my stomach growls. Your stomach a lot. growling, like all <laughs> kinds of ah, like stuff shutting off. Yeah. Stuff like recording over. Yeah, this is this weird gnarled looking. You know, it's growing out of concrete. All the concrete's all right. broken. Yeah, it looks pretty, you guys. It looks pretty. It's 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 a it's alive but though. But it was a struggle. To it's like it's yeah. It was a, it was through that. Concrete it was a little sapling, and... and now it's strong and it's tough and it's weathered. <laughs> nice. Okay. What will you miss most about doing the podcast? I'll miss having people over Hmm. and really getting to know them. And I'll miss doing this with you. I mean, we hang out all the time, but it's really fun having you on the show. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to turn this to you for a second because I just want to tell you, Jeff, thank you so much for all the work that you have done for this show. You guys, if it wasn't for Jeff, the show would have ended a while back because it was so much work and so much time to edit and i'm just so thankful that you enjoy editing and that you enjoy working on this and it's been so much fun bouncing ideas off and talking about what we've been watching and mm-hmm. skewering a quiet place <laughs> <laughs> that was poor poor little movie but <laughs> but it's just been just a joy to have you on the show so thank you Aww. Thank you for being a part of the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate you bringing me onto the show because this is your baby. You created this. You grew that sapling out <laughs> of the concrete. And then I just, I'm sure the podcast would have gone on without me, but I appreciate that. And it was fun hopping on a branch and, you know, being elevated by it and watching it grow. I've had a blast. And like you, I love our talks. Like some of my favorite times are the before the microphones go on and Mm -hmm. we're just talking and filling each other in on what's going on and movies and music and tv shows and whatever and after the microphones go off we usually talk for an hour or two after that yeah you think we'd be all talked out but we can just keep talking (laughs) there have been times where we're like we should have kept the microphone on (laughs) this is gold (laughs) so yeah well thank you yes Mm -hmm. this has been an amazing time All right, back to the question. Okay. Back to turning the microphone back to you. All right. 
What will you miss the least about the podcast? Editing. <laughs> That's quick. Don't miss editing. Yeah. Editing's fun, but it takes uh, like six to seven hours to edit because yeah. we're very meticulous. Hopefully it shows in the editing, but it just, it takes a long time. Also, I'm not the best at updating social media. I'm a very social person, but not on the computer. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like, got to go on there, got to find things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, glad to be done. Okay. <laughs> Next, where was the strangest place you recorded the podcast? There actually haven't been strange places because there's only been three places that we've recorded. It's either been my apartment, other people's apartments, or people's offices. Okay. I figured there's got to be like when you're on location or something. We've recorded in the closet. Yeah, we had to record in a closet because my neighbors were super loud and obnoxious that one time. Yeah. Good acoustics in there, though. Yeah, I have the to, I acoustics mean, were good. Yeah. It sounded great. Yeah, I have soundproof padding in there mm-hmm. and a bunch of coats and blankets. So there's a pro tip. If you need a quiet place, your closet. Yeah. Okay, what interview subject was the one that got away? Who would you most like to have interviewed that you couldn't get? Oh, man. Well, the only people I would have liked to have interviewed are people that I didn't really get a chance to ask. There are a couple people that we initially were going to interview and because we had to end the show or scheduling, we just didn't get a chance to have them on. Mm -hmm. And for those of you out there, I'm sorry, because y'all are amazing. Like we got a lot of emails from people wanting to come on within the past two months Mm -hmm. and it would have been great. You know, like we've had voice actors and composers and people working on a lot of independent stuff and i'm sad that we weren't able to have them on Mm -hmm. but they're really cool people and i recommended them to cassie's podcast and way and breeze podcast and other podcasts so hopefully we'll get a chance to shine over there but you know i think of like people like brenda chapman Mm. or brad bird or floyd norman which granted i didn't ask these folks but you know it could have been cool but also there's people that we have friends that are not yet in the industry, but they're very close. Mm-hmm. And I would have really have liked to have talked to them when they make it. Because I know they're going to. Right. And so I would have loved for them to be able to share that. Mm-hmm. And there's other people that I asked that they were terrified to be on the podcast. <laughs> they were like, this is a wonderful show. No. And I'm like, would you like to go? No, no, I don't. That that scares me. I'm like, that. Fair. That's fair. I'm not going to force anybody You're to like, be miserable. We were just talking at lunch, and that's just how this would have been. But, yeah. You know. It's different. It's, you know? Yeah, it is. It's different when you have a microphone. Mm-hmm. It's different if you know that the internet's forever, and mm-hmm. that can be very scary. Yeah. So I completely understand mm-hmm. not wanting to do that. Yeah. All right. What are you going to do with the time that you would normally be spending creating the podcast? Oh, I've already started doing it. So I'm taking mm-hmm. a class. Mm-hmm. I'm taking Steve On's gesture drawing class. And I started working on my own online comic. And I've been exercising a lot. And started a small group. And I've been mentoring a kid at Burbank High School. Shout out to Lizzie. Awesome. So, <laughs> yeah, it's already... Started And that's, honestly, that's the reason the show is ending. Mm. It's not from, it is a wonderful show. You are a wonderful friend and co-host to work with. Our guests are a delight. Tons of people that want to be on it. It's simply because 
I know that there's other things that I want to do and need to do. Mm-hmm. And having 100 episodes is a terrific ending point because that was always my goal. My goal was I want to get to 50. And then when I get to 50, I'll evaluate it and then see if we can go on to 100. And once we passed 50, I went, okay, 100 it is. <laughs> okay, we're almost done here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you most hope students, pros, listeners... Etc. will take away from this podcast. Like we're talking the legacy of the podcast. Legacy of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Be motivated and create your own work. Mm. I cannot stress enough the importance of being self-motivated and making things happen for yourself. It's the reason why I have a job. Mm-hmm. This podcast is a big part of the reason why I'm working in the industry. I had an opportunity to meet a lot of people and those people were the ones that mentored me and recommended me and that's the reason why I'm now working. Mm -hmm. And for all of you out there that don't live in California, don't live in this country, by this country I'm in the US, you have to make your own path and you have to find your own way. You might not have someone holding your hand. And I cannot stress how difficult it is to get a job. And I say that not to scare people, but it's the truth. It really is the truth. And there's a misconception that if I go to the right school or meet this one person, I'll get a job. And that's not true. There's hundreds of little things all the time. There's no secret sauce. There's no secret formula. You just have to, it's a big circle. You just have to constantly be creating work and meeting people and motivating yourself. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people take that away from the podcast, that they just have to just work, just work. Yeah. You will get it if you don't quit. Mm-hmm. No, I think you've achieved that. Okay, last question. Okay. What's your journey going to be going forward? Hmm. What is the future for Angela Ensminger? What is my future? Well, here's what I would like it to be and what I'm working towards. One day... I will create a television show. That is my future. I want to create a show with a diverse cast. I wanted to star a little black girl and her Asian and Latinx and black and white and purple and green and alien and animal friends. I want to create a diverse show. I want to create the kind of show that I would have loved to have watched as a child because that's the reason why I got into this industry. When I was little, Everybody I knew that worked in animation was white. And I figured, okay, well, I'll just meet all the white people. And then I found out, oh, but all my heroes are also dead. Jim Henson is dead. Chris Freeling is dead. Walt Disney is dead. And I thought, well, that sucks. I can't even meet them and talk to them and ask them questions because they're dead. Mm -hmm. And I thought at nine years old, fine, I'll become the black Disney. Mm-hmm. And all the little black girls and black boys will look at me and go, hey, she did it, so I can do that. And then all the other little kids will look and go, hey, she did it, I can do it too. And that's, that's really what I want my legacy to be. I want to show people that they can. And I also want to show people that once you do, help other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have met people, they're mean mm-hmm. and they're condescending and they don't help other people. They don't encourage other people. But I've met many, many more that do. And we're stronger together. We're stronger as a group. We're stronger if we help one another. 
I, Rob Paulson says this all the time. He's famous voice actor. Look him up. He's a delight. I often hear him say on his podcast, a high tide raises all boats. Mm-hmm. I want to be that high tide for people. I remember in school saying how one of the reasons I wanted to have a show, besides the fact that I had a lot of ideas and wanted to inspire people, was I wanted to be able to give all of my friends jobs. Mm-hmm. So... I want to help people have jobs. And the more of us have shows, the more of us have jobs, and things will just get better. So I want that to be, career-wise, that is one of my big goals. And then beyond that, who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. more podcasts, writing more books. Maybe I'll retire, mm-hmm. go build wells in other countries, <laughs> freshwater, you know, yeah. write memoirs, give talks, mm-hmm. do like a TED Talk or something. I mean, yeah. I just want to help people through storytelling because storytelling is so powerful it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. and I really want to help out people with that okay yeah how about you Jeff no no (laughs) (laughs) I had to try I had to try no that's it it's gotta end with your this is your animated journey most of all dang it so close no I did want to say thank you again for bringing me onto this podcast I know from being with you when we've been at mixers and comic cons and whatever, people come up and they hear your voice. Sometimes they even will hear my voice and be like, this podcast was important, is important. And I think you've accomplished what you wanted to do. Like, this has helped people in the industry, even professionals. I've heard people in the industry when i say like oh yeah i'm the co-host of the animated journey they're like oh i listen to that to get to know my fellow people that work in this industry i'm like wow that's really cool so you've touched a lot of people and i think i can say on behalf of so many people who listen to this podcast thank you for creating this because it's an important resource for people who want to get into the industry or just curious about the industry it's I think it's made this industry more accessible to a lot of people. And so thank you. And this was amazing. It's been an amazing journey. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. I love seeing you grow. And this podcast is you. And it's a beautiful thing. So thank you. Uh, Thank you, friend. On on mic. That's right. Because all of you can see (laughs) that through the microphone is hugs. So, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah. That is so kind. So, thank you to all of you out there too. It means a lot. And I'm glad, I'm glad the podcast did more than what I hoped that it would even do. And that's really cool. And it will be around. It's not going down. We'll still be up there. And we'll still be around. We're still here. If you have questions, if you see us, happy to answer questions from you guys. So there is no next time. There is no 101. I know I always say until next time. So you know what? I'm just going to say go out there. Be good people. Do your best. Help one another out. If we help one another out, then this industry is going to be better for everybody. So take care, everybody. Bye.